does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. It's 12.30 on this Wednesday. Welcome in. This is the Fan Midday Show on 93.5-107.5. With Jimmy Cook, I'm Scott Agnes, and let's go right to the hotline. As now we're joined with Danny Lopez, Vice President for External Relations and Corporate Communications for Pacer Sports and Entertainment. And Danny, an exciting announcement earlier today. We were over at Lucas Oil Stadium with the Pacers and the All-Star Host Committee for February announcing that Lucas Oil stadium will be the host for all-star saturday night that's the three-point contest the dunk contest and the the skills challenge take us through what it went into that and and why fans are going to be excited about the fact that even more of them can be involved next february yeah you nailed it what's up scott first and foremost let me tell you that i think you're doing a great job on this on this show man you're you're, you're killing it so Good work, uh, and thanks for having me on to talk about this. This is really exciting. We, uh, you know, we had this great announcement. I think you saw the turnout. You were out there, so you saw the turnout. You see how everybody is excited about this. I mean, the reality is that you know, if you think about, you know, you were out in Utah and you saw, and it's just, it's just not the same when you're in a building like that, and you know, the cheapest ticket in the building is five hundred dollars or whatever. It's just not the same. We are focused on making All Star Indy the most community focused uh, event that that we have the most community centric all-star that we can make it. And, uh, and this was a big part of it. So when we started having communications with the league about it, I think, you know, there are a lot, there's a, there's so much that goes into the planning of this logistics of the, of the big shows that are put on over the course of that weekend. And so there was a lot that went into that decision, but ultimately we've got great partners, the NBA, they share our vision. uh, And so everybody got on board and here we are. And so the All-Star Game, the big one, will be over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse as expected. But with this and opening up Lucas Oil Stadium, the south end of the stadium, uh, there will be now up 35,000 fans that will be able to attend it. And to your point, too, at an affordable rate. Tickets go on sale yeah. July 24th, ranging from 24 to 49 $79. So you're exactly right. Hopefully it not only doesn't just have a corporate feel, but I know one of the big things for Rick Fusen and everyone over there, one of the hesitations in even hosting it was we want to make it ours. We want to involve as many season ticket holders and residents as we can. And Having it at the Fieldhouse really makes that a difficult situation. So opening up Lucas Oil really changes that opportunity. We, we do these things our way. I yeah. mean, that's the reality. We've got a unique way to do it. We want to make it distinct. we got to leave our imprint on it. This isn't a city that can or does just drop these events in here and then they come and go, and that's the end of it. We, we try to do these things in a very particular way with a lot of involvement. And so when we started thinking about $24 tickets and $49 tickets, $79 tickets, I mean, that's unprecedented. This has not been done for all-star in the past. And, you know, you you hit the nail on the head as it, as it, you know, as it pertains to this event in particular, all, if you grew up like I did in the early eighties into the nineties, this was the event. I mean, it was, it was Neek and Jordan. It was Spud Webb. It was Larry Bird. It was the three point contest. I mean, this was, this was what so many people sort of uh, associate with All-Star, and it's the memories that a lot of people have of All-Star as a kid. Uh, I certainly do, and I think, I think a lot of people share that. And so to be able to do that uh, with so many more members of our community that can now access it and be a part of it uh, live in person is going to be just awesome. 
Danny, this has been a six to seven year process. If you go back to when you guys were initially making a bid to be all star host to when it was announced as a site back in 2017, the schedule changes to the COVID-19 pandemic. And now here we are with a date in 2024. How early in the process or how recently in this process did Lucas Oil Stadium become a viable option to have this event? Because I think it's really great what you guys are doing. You mentioned what this weekend means to a lot of NBA fans. I have those same memories growing up as a kid and remembering great dunk contests and three-point shootouts. It's awesome that it'll be more accessible, but when did Lucas Oil Stadium become on your radar? Well, like I, I mean, like I said, there's just a ton that goes into it, even coordinating with the CIB and with the folks at, at Lucas Oil and the city and the state to make sure that you can get in there and make this happen in that in that facility and that it's open and available. I mean, there's a ton that goes into that. And obviously, as you all know, um, the NBA's got we, – we have an just an incredible uh, uh, partnership with the NBA that's unique with her being the, lo- the longest standing, longest tenured owner. It's just a different relationship with – with the commissioner and with the team. Um, so it is a partnership and we're constantly having those conversations, but as you guys know, they don't really pivot their focus entirely until after the previous all-star. And that's when we were on the clock. So I, I you know, I'd say around that time we started having serious conversations around, okay, well, what, what would this look like if we were to be able to pull this thing off? And what does that require on the league side? What does that require on our side? What would that mean for the community? Can we do things like what we're going to do, the host committee purchasing 2,400 tickets and then using our community partners to distribute them to families that otherwise would never come to Lucas Oil for an event like this? Uh, those types of things, we started having conversations as a team. So I, I'd say you know, fairly recently we were able to, to really get serious and, and buckle down and start having these conversations. Danny Lopez, Pacer Sports and Entertainment, Corporate Communications VP, joining us to talk about All-Star Weekend already, thinking about February and how Indy will put on a show here. And I know there's things that haven't been announced yet. They're still figuring it out. But I think the thing I want to impress upon fans here is there's concerts. It's a mega weekend um, between the concerts, um, different venues that are being involved. And then finally Sunday, it all being showcased with the All-Star Game, which will be seen in, what, like 214 countries and territories, I think it is. So this is a, a... a very different way in which Indy will be in the spotlight to a global audience. You know, you're exactly right. This is the most uh, international event that we're going to host here of this scale uh, in Indianapolis. It's, it's far more global in scale than the, than the Super Bowl and and then college football, which are, were great events, but this is different in the sense that, you know, last year in Utah, you had uh, 25 players from 17 countries that participated in the all-star festivities over the course of that weekend. You're going to have something similar this, this year. You get 1,800 members of the media. A lot of them come from other places, other countries that will descend on Indianapolis. The basketball, the way we're looking at it is, you know, the basketball grew up here. The basketball stories are going to largely take care of themselves. We want to make sure that we use this as an opportunity to position Indiana as a tech leader, as a logistics leader in the Midwest, uh, you know, the, the number one school of music in the world, the number one school of engineering in the world, Notre Dame. I mean, our, re- our research universities, our research institutions that are here, this is a big global business hub and and our culinary scene is important our retail and music scene is important we want to show those things off to the world and so this is our chance to do that we're going to be you know front and center for that weekend and we got to make sure that we we put our best foot forward and and we're working collaborative collaboratively with the city and the state and all the organizations around town to, to do exactly that 
Danny, I love when the All-Star events happen, and Scott mentioned the concerts, but there's ways that the city is highlighted and the culture of the city are highlighted. Heck, Larry Bird delivered the bid in an IndyCar, <laughs> so, so you already have yeah, one foot in the, in the door in that regard. Yeah. I know you're yeah, going to no keep doubt. most close to the chest, but any other wrinkles or nuggets or ways that the, the culture of the city will be on display throughout the weekend? Yeah, so there's good, there will be concerts, and and actually part of the announcement today was the as you, as you saw the the game itself or the festivity the basketball side festivities will be on the south end, and then the north end will be used as you see from the renderings uh, by uh, by the NBA and by organizers in, in, in different ways. We'll have some performances, and there's more more announcements to come on that. Um, but even just downtown, and the beauty of our walkable downtown is you'll be able to get to Cambridge, or you'll be able to get uh, into the heart of downtown and the campus uh, easily from Lucas Oil or from any of the venues. But we'll have pop-up retail. There'll be artists on display. Um, you know, we're, we're working with all of the the, uh, the leasing agents and the building owners around town to make sure that if there's an empty uh, storefront, that we're using that space to get you know an artist in there and use it as a gallery or get a music some some kind of music performance thing in there so that all those spaces are on display truly on display for anybody that's walking our downtown um tons more look we got a long way to go right we got months and months before uh, we get to february and there's going to be a ton of announcements but the one thing i do want to impress upon everybody is you know few people actually get into the game on sunday and obviously we've expanded the universe to 35,000 of folks that, that can ultimately get in uh to watch watch this game uh or these festivities on saturday night now but even if you're not coming to one of these events there's going to be a fan fest like there is every year um and there's going to be other things. I mean, we want, we want people to just descend upon downtown and walk it and be around and feel the energy and bring that to Indianapolis because, uh, like we've talked about, this is our chance to really put the city and the state on display for the rest of the world. I'm talking with Danny Lopez, Pacer Sports and Entertainment, and really the host committee as well for this All-Star Game. One of the blessings in disguise is the fact that those $360 million in renovations to the Fieldhouse would not have been done um, if yep. Indy had hosted uh, like they were planning to three years ago. And so that's a whole other element in all this. You talk about mm-hmm. the walkability of the city, but I'm picturing not tailgating, but people hanging outside the North End. There's that speakeasy, Mel's Steakhouse. Like, There's so much within this, let's call it a mile radius. That that's going to be fantastic. And the one other thing we haven't touched on that's noteworthy too is throughout those four days, the fifteenth of the eighteenth of February, Pacers bike share free, Indigo buses free. So if if let's say bad weather or you're just outside that mile block, it's going to be an easy way to come down and have have a good few days. It's going to be easy to get into downtown. It's going to be easy to get around downtown by bus or by foot. Um, we want to make this as easy as possible for people to come down and enjoy the festivities. You're exactly right. You know, if there was a silver silver lining with the, with the way things played out, it's that we got to finish the field house of the future. Uh, and when you're doing the second largest renovation project in the history of the league, you know, you need, you need those times. We would have been right in the middle of the renovations uh, for All-Star 2021. Uh, and the other silver lining, I know you know Rick has talked about this a lot. The other silver lining is that we weren't going to be able to do this event the way we do events. I mean, we, the creative things like this just would not have been possible. We wouldn't have been able to involve you know up to 400 members of a host committee to to think creatively about ways that we could put the city and the state on display. And so the advantage of having a little more time and and sort of things stabilizing and normalizing is that we could get back to work in the way that we always do. And we're doing exactly that. And you know you you, ref, you referenced Commission Row, Bicentennial Unity Plaza, which will which, which we'll cut ribbon on here uh, very soon in the coming months. So, I mean, there's a lot 
lot that wasn't in place at the time that we'll be able to leverage. And all of that means greater connectivity to the neighborhoods around downtown and hopefully people from all over the state coming down downtown for the events. So let's dive brass tacks for a second. July 24th is the date that folks need to know at this point, right? 10,500 tickets will go on sale to the public around then? That's right. And and we want to encourage folks to go to pacers.com slash all-star 2024 um, because all of the information leading up to the on sale will be on there and you'll, there'll be instructions on the process and everything else. Um, so, you know, it's, it, we, we want to make this sale available to, to Hoosiers first. So we want to encourage people to get on there and, and figure out what that process is going to be. But, uh, but that's, all of the information for All-Star will be on there, too. So if, if people want to know how to get involved or what some of the events that are going to be that have already been announced, all of that is on that site, too. Very good, Danny. Thanks for joining us, and uh, well done this afternoon at that press conference. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it, Scott. Thanks. That's Danny Lopez, Vice President of External Relations and Corporate Communications over at Pacer Sports and Entertainment. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 1 p.m. on this Wednesday, Thursday night, all attention will be Inside the Barclays Center for the NBA Draft. Pacers with five picks starting at number seven. Not expecting for them to use all of those. But a lot of intrigue in this draft, and let's break it all down here on the Fan Midday Shows. We're welcomed in on the hotline with Rafael Barlow of NBABigBoard.com. Rafael, I'm sure you're going through the line, talking with a lot of people leading up to the draft, a lot of different radio shows as well. Is the most intrigue right there at two and three of whether or not Charlotte stays or completes a deal and the same thing with Portland? Yeah, I'm, I'm here at the, the hotel where all the action and everybody's at, and, and nobody seems to know what is what is going on and as far as is there going to be a lot of action or, or, or moving. I mean, it sounds like Brandon Miller to, to Charlotte is a lock, but right now everybody's just trying to figure out what happens with Portland. Yeah, that's interesting. I've I've heard it's they're completely torn, Charlotte, on Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller. And Scoot, I think, talk about these two players. I think Scoot, we kind of know that he's going to be a success. It's just how big. Where I think there's a lot more questions with Brandon, both on and off the court. How do you see those two? I actually think it's a little bit of the opposite. Um, just the people that I've spoken to feel like. With, with Miller, it's an easier fit as far as plug-and-play with any system. And with Scoot, he's someone that, you know, you kind of have to build around him or you have to give him the keys to to the franchise for him to be successful. So from everything that I've been hearing, people feel like Brandon is the guy that can fit if you already have, like, a star point guard because he can play a complementary role because of the size and the shooting and defend multiple positions. But I've also heard that there are some, some teams that think that who could possibly fall down to number four, which is kind of shocking, but I just heard that probably about an hour or so ago. Raphael, with all the rumblings around Damian Lillard and whether or not he really wants to still be a part of Portland and a potential rebuild for them, is it a clear indication that it is rebuild or development mode, whatever word you want to use, by the Portland Trailblazers if they keep the third pick and take Scoot Henderson? 
Oh, man. Or take whoever. I, I, it doesn't have to be Scoop. You know what I mean? They use yeah. the pick. They don't trade it. Yeah, I mean, I think they're definitely going to try to move it and, and try to get some help right away. But I wonder if teams already know that they're desperate to move it. Are they going to give them, like, their, their best package? From what I've been told, that the Sacramento, I'm sorry, not Sacramento, but Siakam, the, the Toronto, that, that is probably, like, the best deal. But I think Shaden Sharp is the hold up there. Talking with Rafael Barlow, he's in New York City leading up to the draft tomorrow night. How about the Pacers? It gets real interesting there at seven. I think there's three or four players that they'd be very comfortable with. Um, needing wings, needing defenders, needing rebounding. Who are a couple of players you would spotlight for them at number seven? Yeah, I think their range could be from Cam Whitmore to Jareth Walker, Taylor Hendricks, but I've also heard that uh, Bilal um, Kulabali could also be in that mix. Raphael, for Taylor Hendricks, I've started to warm on the idea of what he brings to the table with his versatility and, and just his ability to not only have the pull-up within his arsenal, but be solid as on-ball defense. When you're evaluating a prospect like Hendricks, who's had a real rise right out of the gate, from just one year's time compared to where things were entering his freshman season. Is it a flash in the pan or is it, wow, this guy's really had a strong year and has the foundation of building something special in this league? No, I don't think it's a flash in the pan. I think the only reason why people may think it is that because he wasn't like super highly touted coming out of high school. He didn't have the same buzz as like a Jarrett Walker or a Cam Whitmore so he was outside of the top 50 recruits in the nation so for some people it's, it's kind of like he kind of came out of nowhere but I mean the kid shot 39% from three and averaged over blocking a game and and is a defender so I think he is someone that a lot of teams like because he's a plug and play guy you can plug him in in any system you can knock down shots and defend so um, I think he's going to be really good Two of the more intriguing players are, of course, the Thompson twins. Asar was originally scheduled to come here to Indianapolis for a workout, then that ultimately was canceled. Where do you stand on those two? Who who do you think could have the higher upside? We we know Amen more of kind of the point guard ball handling, and Asar a little bit more out on the wing, and and was was MVP the last couple of years down at Overtime Elite. Yeah, you know what's interesting is that even though Amin is considered the the better of the two as far as the two-time MVP, Great. and if you look at their assist numbers, I think it's like 6.2 for Amin and 6.1 for Asar. The assist-to-turnover ratio is, is very similar. I honestly think that Asar is a point guard. He just didn't necessarily play as the primary because he was with his brother, but I think if he's on another team anywhere else, he is the primary ball handler. So I think that, I mean, they, they both could end up, you know, having very similar careers. Amin is just probably the better athlete. But, I mean, he's probably arguably like the, it'll be a top five athlete in the NBA next year. So I don't see much of a difference between those two. Rafael Barlow with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Barlow500. Head of NBA draft content over at NBABigBoard.com. Director of scouting there as well. Speaking of Jairus Walker, we talked about him a little bit earlier in the conversation, but diving into what he brings to the table, the main knock on him is can he do it consistently from beyond the arc at the NBA level? From your evaluation, what the tape's shown about him, is it an issue of consistency or is it an issue of more mechanics-based that could be fixed or mended in the right system? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, these guys are young, so they're far from being a finished product. Jarris Walker was actually a pretty good shooter off off the catch. Um, the concern is that, you know, maybe the free throw percentage indicates that, that he's a little bit further away. But if you just look at, at his overall numbers off the catch, I want to say he was he was shot like 30-something percent from three off the catch. I think he's going to be going to be fine. Um, yeah, 41% on unguarded catch-and-shoot jumpers. And those aren't usually numbers you, you hear about a guy that they're shooting concerns. So I just think that, you know, a year or two to get adjusted to the line, I think he's going to be fine as a shooter. Rafael Barlow with us. I want to talk about kind of some guys in play at the back end of the first round, Rafael, because Pacers, at least right now, having a couple of picks there, 26 and 29. Uh, some names that I like, Andre Jackson, Colby Jones, uh, a, a guy that's really surged seeming like um, is Omax from Marquette. Uh, Prosper, he was here, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago for yep. interviews as well. And then I'll throw City Sissoko in there as well with G League Ignite. Uh, among those guys, or if you have one other guy that stands out to you, uh, who who among that group really piques your interest? Yeah, you know what? I don't think Omax, uh, Maximus Prosper, will be available. I actually heard that he, um, they, I guess the Pacers have a ring the bell drill where you have to yeah. make 20 out of 25, or maybe is it 23? Either way, it's like you got to make 80% of, of your threes. And I heard that he was one of the few, if not the only prospect that was able to ring the bell in their, in their drill. So I think he's someone that the Pacers would love, but I think they're going to have to move up to get him. And. Another name that I've been hearing is maybe Julian Phillips mm-hmm. from Tennessee. Was highly touted coming into his freshman year. Didn't have like the best year efficient as far as efficiency, but he's a really good defender and he can provide some some wing depth for the Pacers. So that's a name. Um, City Sissoko would be good. I mean, he's a, a guy that is more so of a natural point guard and ball handler, but playing with Scoot, he didn't really get the opportunity. And he was one of the better the better players in the G League in the second half of the season. I think he finished second in the G League in dunk for wings, which is tremendous growth for him because he used to be a little a little passive as far as attacking. So I, I like him there. Um, what was the other name that you mentioned? Uh, Colby Jones from Xavier, Ben Shepard from Belmont. You could throw in Gigi Jackson, Max Lewis. Yeah. All those guys have been here for workouts. Yeah, Kobe Jones is the one that I think you could probably get at 32. Ben Shepard is, is a guy that I think would be in, in the first-round range. And then Gigi is – I honestly think that Gigi is a top-10 talent in this draft. He's just so young. Started off the season at 17. He's only 18 years old now. I mean, he's only eligible to be in this draft by like 14 days. So I think he would be a good long-term developmental prospect. But I'll say this, if he stayed in his original class, this was um, 2024 draft, I think he would be the number one pick. So if Indiana gets him at, you know, somewhere late in the first round with one of their picks, and I think a developmental year, and you end up with a guy that would be a top five pick in 2024. So I would totally pull the trigger on that if, um, if he's available. Yeah, he was very honest with us about 
the mistakes he made and the direction he needs to go and improve upon more so even off the court youngest guy in the class as you reference I am curious why he didn't you know push it back another year because by all indications next draft not that exciting in terms of top prospects so in terms of where he could go now it seems like I could see him falling into the late first round and somebody's going to pull the trigger there and get him on a good rookie deal yeah yeah definitely yeah I think like he I guess when your mind is already set on being a one and done then it's hard to go back but I mean he's a good kid I've had a chance to be around him a few times this summer I live in Dallas he did a lot of his training in Dallas good kid just is young 18 years old and hasn't really been away from home and I think that's the concern of the teams is you know adding an 18 year old to and most teams are already young as is but adding an 18 year old that has never been away from home with millions of dollars in his pocket I think that's probably the biggest concern for teams Raphael, when we talked to you before the NBA Draft Combine, we were discussing whether or not the value of those back-end first-rounders the Pacers have in 26 and 29 would be able to carry the day to get back into the middle of the first round. Let's say they keep seven and they make a selection there. As you've gone through this further evaluation process and with us inside of 32 hours from draft night, is there enough value at the back of the draft, proceed value by teams, for if the Pacers wanted to package 26 and 29, they could get up to a, a 15 to 20 range? Yeah, I think so. You may have to throw in a player, a player in that mix, but I, I do think that there are some teams that may want to move back because it could be a guy that they like that they think could be available you know, in the back end of, of the first round and they may be able to pick up an asset in return for it. I just can't see a situation where the Pacers bring in, what, four? They have four picks, four or five. I know they have four of the first 32. I just can't see a situation where they bring in all of those guys. I think they'll consolidate, and uh, I think that they can move up. Yeah, I think that's the word, Raphael. Raphael Barlow joining us here of NBABigBoard.com. Consolidate. Five picks, including 55, which doesn't generally have a ton of value there. And right now, unless they make any moves, they only have three open roster spots. Plus, you could do yeah. another G League or two. Uh, or, excuse me, a two-way contract um, as well. How about a couple local prospects? I'm um, talking about Jalen hood Shafino of IU, as well as Trace Jackson Davis, who may work his way into the late first round. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Trace Jackson Davis is a guy that teams are just overthinking. Just off of numbers alone, I think outside of Wimbayama, he's the most productive prospect in this class on paper. And just like I said, I think teams are overthinking it. No, he doesn't shoot the ball or space the floor like you would like, but he finishes around the rim and is a very, very, very underrated passer and a good rebounder. So I think a playoff team that will need some depth in the front court should definitely take a flyer on him in the first round. And then Hood Shafino, I think he has a pretty wide range. I think he can go anywhere from 13 through through 20. So, um, you know, he could end up being in the back end of the lottery, but I don't see him getting past 20. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
Looking at two players that have made a name for themselves in the last couple of NCAA tournaments, looking at guys like Jaime Jaquez and Isaiah Wong, this is clearly back end of the first round, early second round pieces. You'll throw Jalen Clark in there at the very back of the second round in terms of where he's been mocked. Talking about guys that have had that type of success in March Madness that might provide instant growth potentially within a roster. We thought that would happen with Chris Duarte. Hasn't happened here in Indiana. But when you look at guys like that, Jaime Jaquez, Isaiah Wong, name a few, what's your evaluation of them if they're selected in that range of values back into the first round, early second? Yeah, I think only Jaquez is probably in the first round range. Um, I, I think like Isaiah Wong is the guy. Honestly, I feel like if Isaiah Wong was born in a different era, he'd be a lottery pick. Just kind of <laughs> has a scores isolation type game, which is really not today's NBA unless you're like a really good passer. But I think he could be someone that you could target maybe at 55. But as far as like their, their success, I think you have to factor in that a little bit. I mean, they played on winning teams. They know how to contribute to winning, which is something that, you know, a lot of the, the younger prospects don't have. But I think Hawkins is the best of that, of that group that could be a real target for the Pacers. Rafael, do you have a favorite player that, that you're tracking? Curious how high he may get drafted. Um, honestly, I, we talked about him a few seconds ago, but I'm just curious to see where Gigi goes. Yeah. Because, I, again, I think he's a top 10 talent as far as just his size and how he's able to handle the ball. And I think he has a really wide range. He's worked out for a lot of teams that have lottery picks, but he could also fall to the end of the, the, the first round. I think if he goes to the right system with good development and veterans, I think in five years from now, we'll look back and say, man, why didn't he go higher? So Gigi's the guy that I'm probably tracking the most. Rafael, when you look at what Rick Carlisle is trying to build here, you look at the pieces they have in place, guys like Ben Matherin, Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner, if they stay at seven, is there a perfect fit piece in your mind? Obviously, we don't know what the team's going to do, but as you look at prospects that are in that range, is there a guy you feel like could mesh well with what they want to do, which is be a consistent offensive team, but also finally have that defense meet them in the middle and be a true, I don't want to say contender, but a true threat on a night-in-night basis because of their defense? Yeah, I think Hendricks and Taylor Hendricks, that is, and Jess Walker provide the most defense as far as it's being available, ready to come in and compete on the defensive end. And I don't know if he will be available. I mean, there are some rumors that he could be, but I like the Cam Whitmore fit. Now, he's also pretty young, only only 18, but I think his, he has upside to, to be one of the better, the better players in this class. And I really think that he would be the better offensive player of the three guys that I mentioned. Rafael, appreciate the time. Get back to interviews and enjoy draft night tomorrow night, all right? Thank you so much. Anytime you want me on, let me know. We Thanks, appreciate Rafael. it. That's Rafael Barlow, NBA BigBoard.com. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Welcome back into the Fan Midday Show with Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison. I'm Scott Agnes. 
Just a day away from the NBA draft, this hour, or I guess it would be last hour, Pacers already shaking up their draft assets, moving on from 29 and 32 of this year to pick up an extra first next year and pick 40, and we'll get on that a little bit later. Now we're going to where some intrigue is at the top of the draft. Charlotte at two, and then followed by the Portland Trailblazers. What are they going to do? I welcome in my friend, Sean Hyken. He runs the Rose Garden Report at rosegardenreport.com. And Sean, I, I thought it was bold, yet honest and true last night, writing uh, where the Trailblazers stand last night and how this – is is a huge and pivotal point in franchise history. What are your thoughts leading into tomorrow night? Well, I'm not breaking any news there with how you know potentially huge this draft is. They haven't had this high of a draft pick since uh, 2007 when they took Greg Oden number one overall over Kevin Durant, and you know especially in a draft where I would say most executives, and I'm sure you've heard the same thing. You know, outside of Victor Wembanyama, who's obviously going number one to San Antonio, most people think that Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller are kind of on their own tier as the two and, you know, the second and third best prospects in the draft in whatever order you want to put them in. So, whatever position, the, you know, whatever, you know, the Blazers kind of have the easiest pick in the draft, if you will, besides number one, where whichever one of those two guys Charlotte doesn't take, they're happy to take. But then there's also kind of the dynamic of, you know, they have said both publicly and privately that they still intend and want to build around Damian Lillard and try to still contend in the playoffs while he's still playing at the level that he's playing at. And he has kind of made it clear publicly that, you know, drafting a player at number three rather than trading the pick for a more veteran piece is not something that he would be thrilled if they did. So it's going to be an interesting, you know, five minutes that they're on the clock tomorrow one way or the other to see which way they go. Sean, let's start there. If they do make that selection at three, is that a clear indication that, I don't know if you want to call it rebuild or whatever word it fits best in this scenario, but is that clear that they are not building in their mind a team that will contend for a championship within Damien's contract window? Uh, not necessarily, at least not the way they feel. And I think, I think they feel, and you know, you can land wherever you want to land on this. I, you know, I will land wherever I land on it, but they feel that there are other ways that they have to get veteran talent, whether that be using the mid-level exception in free agency or potentially trading Anthony Simons plus the number 23 overall pick that they also have tomorrow for, you know, other veteran upgrades. Like, they, they feel like they have other avenues, and if they don't get a deal that they like for the for the third pick, they're not going to trade the pick just to trade the pick. There's a very small list of guys that they are, uh, you know, w- that they would be open to moving the pick for. And if one of those guys doesn't shake free or something else unexpected doesn't come along that blows them away, I, they've been signaling that they're very happy to keep the pick and use it, whichever one of those two guys it is. And... Uh, I, you know, what that, what, how Dame reacts to that, whether he ultimately asks for a trade, if he does ask for a trade, whether they ultimately trade him or not, that like this, this is, this is stuff that's all up in the air. Talking with Sean Hyken. and Sean, I'm curious, what are your, what are your readers and fans in Portland feel about sh- this pivot potentially point in franchise history of, of trying to have a guy like a Reggie Miller and Dame Lillard that's been there forever and only plays for one team versus, all right. 
that's past its expiration date, let's do something else. I think, you know, you're, you, you, and Scott, you know this, how, you know, being as online as we are, uh, having to, you know, there's a certain very vocal minority of fans that feel one way, but then the majority kind of feels the other way. You know, there, there definitely is a contingent that say, you know, they're never going to win a title with Dame. You should just trade Dame and rebuild. This, I, I think the vast majority of people would not like to see that happen. I know that the Blazers organization would not like to see that happen. I know that Damian Lillard at the end of the day would not like to see that happen. I, I, I think everybody is, you know, is pretty motivated uh, to, you know, get enough done to, you know, feel like, you know, there's a, there's a way forward together. It's just, it's just, again, like there's, there's a small amount of, you know, move, you know, trades that could present themselves that they would think is worth it to, uh, you know, move the third pick for, especially in a draft with two guys at the top that in most drafts that aren't, that don't have Victor Wambanyama and it would be seriously, uh, you know, in contention to go number one overall. And especially with the new CBA, uh, you know, being so restrictive at the top, mm-hmm. you know, having a potential star on a rookie scale deal, I think is something that they view as very valuable and that's something that they'd have to get a pretty compelling offer to move off of. And I think, and the other thing is, I think Dame knows that. Like, Dame is a smart guy. Dame follows the league as much as anybody does, as far as players in the league do. Like, he watches a ton of league pass. He knows players and teams around the league. He knows the salary cap. He knows all that stuff very well. Like, he, I don't think he would want the Blazers to make a bad deal with the pick just to make a deal. I think he wants them to trade the pick for a veteran, you know, you know, for somebody more on his timeline. But I don't think he's saying, oh, you have to trade the pick and make a bad deal where, you know, it ends up hurting the franchise. And, Sean, I think what's interesting, too, could kind of compare it here to Indy, Tyrese Halliburton was at basically all the workouts. And from your uh, stories, Dame was basically at all of Portland's workouts. What, if anything, do you read into that both short-term and long-term? I mean, he. I don't think he would be at least showing his face publicly at these workouts if he was, you know, working behind the scenes to set up his exit. I, I, I think that's, uh, you know, that's pretty clear. Now, I don't really have any insight. Well, I haven't talked to him in a while, so I don't know one way or the other which of these prospects he likes more than the others. But, you know, I think the fact that he was there with the front office watching these workouts, like he's, 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 a very, he's very involved in the process. I don't think he's dictating, oh, you, you know, draft this guy, don't draft this guy. I mean, I'll tell you this, last year he would have preferred that they traded the number seven pick somewhere else to get more of a win-now guy. And they got pretty close with Toronto on OG Ananobi, and ultimately Toronto wanted too much in addition to the seventh pick, and they drafted Shaden Sharp. And at the time, on draft night, Dane was kind of thinking, eh, is this really what you guys want to do to maximize my, you know, my window? I don't know if I want you guys to have drafted a rookie. And then, you know towards the end of the season, Shaden Sharp, I think, kind of won him over, and now he's totally on board with Shaden Sharp. I think the Blazers, if they decide not to move the pick, are making the bet that that's going to happen again with Stu Henderson or Brandon Miller, whichever one of those guys is there at three. Now, is that bet going to pay off again, or is is it is it not this time? That's That kind of remains to be seen. Sean, 
when I look around the NBA, franchises would kill to have a player in this modern era that values the franchise the way that Damian Lillard does. And in every turn, whenever there's been a rumor mill about him potentially wanting to go elsewhere, being traded, he's responded by signing extensions or signing his most recent extension to show he wants to spend his career in Portland. The fact that the volume of Dame maybe wants out or maybe he's ready to, to finally move on because both the franchise and him are on different timelines is jarring to me because it's never been like that before with Lillard. There's been rumor mills about him being dealt, but it's never been a feeling of, wow, this might really be the time where he's ready to move on. Is this all true or is it basically rumors at this point of Dame might actually want to take a career shift because he realized even though he loves the franchise, they might be on different timelines for championship contention. I would argue it actually got pretty close in the uh, summer of 2021 after they lost in the first round to a Denver team that didn't have Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr. And then the general manager at the time, Neil Olshay, you know, fired Terry Stotts and said that the first round exit was not a product of the roster. And then, you know, made a very controversial coaching hire in Chauncey Billups that he then tried to put on Dame once he started getting blowback for it. So I would say at that point, Dame actually was pretty seriously, and he said this on the record. I'm not breaking it. He was was pretty seriously looking around that summer saying, yeah, I don't know if this is really where I want to be. And then I think winning the power struggle with Neil Olshay that he ended up winning a couple months later and then signing the extension, I think he – ended up feeling like, okay, this is this is where I want to be. And I think he has a better and more trusting relationship with Joe Cronin, the current general manager, than he ever did with Neil Olshay. And I think he genuinely feels that Joe Cronin is, try, is going to make every effort to do what needs to be done to build a team around him. But, you know, Joe Cronin also, like I said, he isn't going to make a bad deal right. just to make a deal. Like, he's not going to, like... He's not going to trade the pick for, like, just to throw a name out there, Zach Levine, just to say, hey, look, we got a veteran guy. (laughs) It's not the right guy. You know, the better move is to hold on to the pick, and I think Dame understands that. So, you know, we we will see what happens. I don't think Dame is going into this offseason looking for an excuse to want out. He is looking for, you know, them to do enough that he's totally comfortable. Talking with Sean Hyken of the RoseGardenReport.com. And Sean, one of the bigger things, too, you've been tracking in all over the last year or two is the potential sale, eventual sale of the Blazers down the road. And I think, as you've written, and what really makes sense, too, is the fact that once there is expansion, the, the, uh, the trust or, you know, um, that will go to charity. Uh, part of that, that would not go there. They would cash in on that, which makes a big reason why Portland holds off until any kind of uh, influx of additional teams here. Is that still your read on it? Do you think if it is two or three years down the road, do you still see uh, the Nike owner wanting to get involved and and leave a legacy behind with that? Phil Knight, as far as I know, is still very, very motivated to buy the Blazers. I I mean, he's 85, so, you know, not right, but, you know, he's 85. (laughs) So, you you know, if we're we're talking three years from now, there's no guarantees of of, of anything uh, as far as him, you know, still being around to be involved but as far as i know he's still very highly motivated to buy the team and i think besides the stuff that you i mean just to just to give people a little bit of a, as brief of an overview as i can ever since paul allen died in 2018 uh his sister jody has been in charge of his trust and one of the terms of the trust is that all of his assets have to be sold at some point and the proceeds of that have to go to charity 
And what I've been told and kind of heard and been able to gather is that she wants to hold off on selling the team in order to, you know, cash in on the new TV deal and cash in on the expansion fees that are coming towards the end of the decade, because that's money that she would get to keep as opposed to, uh, you know, the sale of the team, which would go, you know, the proceeds of that would go to charity. So that's kind of the motivation there, whereas Phil Knight wants to get the deal done. And I think because of some of the stories that have come out in the last year, there was one in the New York Post last year, there was one in the Wall Street Journal a couple weeks ago, that clearly were kind of planted by Phil Knight as a way to put public pressure on her to sell. I think because of that, she is a little bit more motivated to not sell to Phil Knight because she feels like you know, trying to, you know, bully her into selling the team to him. So I have, I don't think there hasn't really been any movement on anything since that wall street journal story came out a couple of years, uh, weeks ago. So, uh, I don't think there's anything new there, but I do. I, 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 all, the only thing we know is that at some <laughs> point in the future, the team has to be sold by terms of the trust. I don't think there's a hard timeline on it. That's just relevant both because of what's the current timeline of the, the Blazers and with Dame and also the, uh, across the country, you see what's going down with Charlotte and Michael Jordan and he's selling now versus hanging on for a couple of years. So that that's another factor. Maybe Joe Cronin and the Trailblazers have to factor in probably not just yet, um, but it's definitely on their radar. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I, I don't I don't know how much, you know, input into roster decisions ownership is going to have. I haven't heard anything that would make me think that it's anybody but Joe making final call on this stuff. But I'm sure ownership would not love the idea of trading Damian Lillard and not having anything that's really going to sell tickets. And then the other thing is, I understand that in a lot of cases, uh, you know, the job security preserving move for a general manager would be <laughs> to just trade your star player get a bunch of draft picks and young players and say, hey, you can't fire me for five years because I have to rebuild the team. Because of the sales situation being up in the air, I don't know if Joe Cronin is really in that same spot where he could do that even if he wanted to. Because, you know, you know if, if you know, a new owner comes in and he, you know, had just traded Damian Lillard and you're at the beginning of a rebuild, the new owner had nothing to do with hiring you as a general manager. So there's no reason that, that owner has any real incentive to keep you around. But if the team is, you know, if you're able to get something big done and you're still building a round game, then they're probably just going to let you keep going for a while. Like James Jones still has his job after Matt Ishbia took over because he's still, you know, he's not in the beginning stage of a rebuild. I think if they were still as a franchise, the Suns where they were five or six years ago before they you know, went on this run that they're on now and a new owner came in, whoever their general manager is would have probably been out of there pretty quickly. Sean, how much does Charlotte dictate the proceedings of this trade dance that might happen between picks two and three and what Portland might do? Oh, it's huge. I mean, uh, there are some teams that really want Scoot Henderson. There are some teams that really want Brandon Miller. And I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of a Venn diagram of which of those teams want which guy and which of those teams have what Portland might want. You know, the one that has been, you know, talked about a lot that I think is, you know, very real as far as a possibility is, New Orleans, it's very well known that they want Scoot Anderson and that it's, you know, they're, they're you know, depending on who, what you want to believe, I think it's very, at least a decent possibility that they're open to discussing something involving Zion Williamson, if that means that's what they get. So, you know, that, you know, if Charlotte takes Scoot at two, that's not a possibility anymore for Portland. You know, I, I, yeah, that's that's just kind of you know that that's the way it goes. It, it sounds right now, just based on everything that's been out there, everything I've heard, 
it sounds right now like Charlotte is leaning towards taking Brandon Miller, but you guys remember a year ago, <laughs> yep. everybody thought that it was a lock that Jabari Smith was going to go number one, and then like 12 hours before the draft, the betting line flipped suddenly, and now everybody thinks Paolo Bancaro is going to go number one. So I don't want to completely assume we know what Charlotte is going to do until they actually make it official tomorrow night, but everything that is out there right now is seeming like it's going to strongly indicate that Charlotte is going Brandon Miller. And then if that is the case, then, you know, Portland's going to have a decision to make, especially, you know, Scoot Henderson, most, a lot of teams think is the second best player in the draft after Victor Wembanyama. So you take him and you have a ton of, you know, you have, you know, a very talented prospect who plays the same position as Damian Lillard. How's that going to work? And then, you know, are you know so do you you know try to make that work does that mean you trade dame do you you know some of these teams that want scoot henderson can you get like a zion or a mikhail bridges or you know pascal siakam or somebody like that like do you decide that's worth it like there's a lot of different ways they can go i'm glad you brought up the, the betting lines last year because that was it was almost hilarious how I think through just everybody re- reverberating, repeating the same info, we thought, you know, Jabari, Jabari, Jabari. And then all of a sudden, you know, hours before the draft, it flipped to Boncaro. I don't think Charlotte knows what it's doing. I think it's completely torn in the, the new ownership situation we saw today where Michael Jordan said he will be, the, or Mitch Kupchak said MJ will be making the pick. Well, he doesn't even have majority ownership moving forward. So that's that's interesting to me in all this. And that's why so much of this, Sean, I wanted to have you on because there's Charlotte. Charlotte, and then there's Portland, and I could see both franchises doing seismic, making seismic changes to what they're doing. Um, and I, I guess I'll leave you with this: with Zion, if you are Portland, and that is possible, how risk adverse should they be? Is this something they should be willing to take on purely just to make Dame happy? And along the same lines, is you want to buy into what could be possible with Zion in a new situation? You'd have to see the medicals. I think would be the key. Like the thing, the, and, yeah. by, and by that, I and by that I mean, you know, you look at a, somebody like Kawhi Leonard, where he has a degenerative knee condition that is just always going to be monitored during his career, and it's a chronic thing that's never going to go away and never going to get better, and that's why he can only play forty or fifty games a year. If something like that were to come up with Zion, if they were to do their due diligence and gather the medical records and stuff, and there was something like that there then I think it wouldn't be a good idea to do it. But if, if these injuries that, he, that he's had, they decided that they aren't related and it's just, you know, he's had some lower body injuries and if he can just lose some weight and get in better shape and then this stuff will go away and he'll be fine. If that's what they come back with, yeah, I'd take the swing because every time he's been healthy, he's been a top five player in the league. And the idea of him and Dane together is, you know, if you want to talk about upside, that's the highest upside move that there is on the board. So if the medicals came back, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd do it. Yeah. Good stuff, Sean. I know you'll be busy the next 30-some hours, so appreciate you taking some time here. Good to talk to you, man. That's Sean Heiken, RoseGardenReport.com.